August the 16th, 1977. Nighttime. I am in a darkened bedroom in my hometown of Crawley, listening to the radio in the late night gloom with a girl called The Raven. She has long, straight black hair and all black clothes. I am 18 years old. The Raven turns the radio's tuning knob, trying to find something in the airless room to listen to. A crackle of static and a breathless voice, eerily in tones. The King is dead. Elvis Presley, the King of Rock and Roll, died tonight in Memphis, Tennessee. To us, Memphis might as well have been the moon. It was that far from our experience of growing up in the ever-present doom of Thatcher's post-war Britain. We knew Elvis's death meant something, but what? The changing of the guard? A way forward? Elvis's journey may have come to an end, but mine was just beginning. Together with my friends Robert Smith and Michael Dempsey, we started on the path to recording The Cure's first album, Three Imaginary Boys. The songs were sparse and angular, somewhere between punk and pop, but the title track provided an indication of where the band was headed. Stark lyrics of longing and shadow came from a dream I had that haunted me for days. Robert perfectly melded the words with his guitar and melancholy vocals suspended on the minimalist framework of my Spartan drums and Michael's melodic pulse. I think we knew it was the right way for us, even before we really understood it. That year, among the books I read, were Camus' The Stranger, Plath's The Bell Jar, and Sartre's Nausea. They all spoke to something darker within me, but also something more beautiful, and it inspired my playing. All of us channeled the pensive yearning of our souls into the music we were making that summer of 77 and discovered the blueprint for the cure's oeuvre. We had seen the disease. The cure was inevitable. Did we realize what we were onto at the end of the 70s? We did not. In fact, we resisted it. Despite our passionate insistence that The Cure was not a goth group, The Cure was very much a goth group. We were like the famous quote by Groucho Marx, and we didn't want to belong to any club that would accept us as members. We were also against the idea of following anything, or anybody. That was the raison d'etre for our third single, Jumping Someone Else's Train, which was specifically against joining any bandwagons that happened to be passing by at the time. We were very serious young men and leery of being pigeonholed by our many critics who didn't care for our dark music. Yet notwithstanding that idea, we became the fertile ground on which the movement flourished. Somehow, everything The Cure did between 1980 and 1984 became hallmarks of this elusive subculture. Call it the enigma of post-punk. Gloomy action glimpsed at a distance in a mushroom cloud of teased black hair. 